everybody, and welcome to From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. I would like to begin this episode by making a quick correction in regards to last episode, Blizzard. I had mentioned after Mary, Laura, and Carrie had found shelter that Mary lit her match and then started the fire without lighting the candle first. However, gathering content for the Instagram account, I did notice, yes, Mary had lit the candle first. So, sorry about that, everyone. Also, coincidentally, or maybe just timing, but uh, interesting to read about the Sunshine Protection Act gaining some traction on abolishing daylight savings. Hmm, we all might find ourselves a little bit closer to living like the Ingalls, possibly sometime in the near future. Of course, with the announcement of this bill, uh, there are, of course, now a number of articles in regards to daylight savings and the previous attempts to discontinue it. And it's still here. And with that being said, let's get started on today's recap. Today's episode is entitled, I'll Ride the Wind, and debuted on January 10th, 1977. The episode was written by Harold Swanton and directed by William F. Claxton. We begin with an exterior shot. It is a field framed by two trees, and we see the silhouettes of two individuals out on a wagon. There's a team of horses, and a slow zoom-in reveals Mr. Edwards and shut the front door, the return of John Jr. Well, we get to see what the older boys do when they're not at school. John Jr. pulls a hanky, a red one, from his pocket and wipes his brow. There's a hawk screech overhead, and looking up, John notices the birds soaring, its freedom, its independence, seeing the world from another angle, Although he doesn't say it out loud, John Jr. is thinking, I'm like a bird. I'll fly away. John Jr. points out the soaring hawk, and Mr. Edward states, Oh yeah, a chicken hawk. John Jr. is curious about what's going on in its head. Mr. Edward seems confused. John Jr. states, Well, it's got a brain like we have. It's got a heart. What do you think it sees when it watches us pitch hay? P.S. John Jr. definitely had a growth spurt. On their wagon ride home, Mr. Edwards states, Sometimes I wonder about you, boy. You ride the wind, and I ride the hay wagon. He continues with, Farming is not so bad. At least you're your own man. Their wagon ride continues along until it is interrupted by Mary yelling out for John. It's like she hasn't seen him in 10 episodes or two years. Prairie verse. Mary has come with a letter that has just arrived for John Jr. Apparently, they have been waiting for this letter. I have to mention Mary is overly excited at this moment. Maybe it's because, again, she hasn't seen John Jr. in 12 episodes. Anyway, back to the letter. John Sanderson Esquire. Apparently, he sent in a collection of poems entitled Prairie Songs, 
which were well received. In fact, someone is coming down to Walnut Grove to meet up with him. Their name is Frederick Deering to discuss something more with John Jr. John Jr. states, they're going to buy my poems. And no, John, no, because they could easily say that in the letter. This is something bigger. Regardless, John Jr. is celebrating being a paid artist. I'm going to get paid for doing what I love best in all the world. He looks at Mary. Well, second best. And it looks like they're about to kiss. Instead, they grab hands and go running off in the distance. We cut to the two of them crossing a small creek. John Jr. is continuing about the benefits of being a writer. You can live anywhere if you're a writer. And Mary says that she just wants to stay here in Walnut Grove. And John Jr. agrees to this in our own house. In fact, Mary knows a place for us. A time and place for us. She's been thinking about it. And apparently so has John Jr. Because he calls out the exact same spot. Sounds like they're still planning on this marriage. Again, remember John's pseudo-proposal back at the end of season two in Going Home? Oh, no, wait. They are actually still going to get married because John Jr. says he's about to propose a second time because before he was a kid and now he's an adult, grown up. He claims it's because he has money coming. And so John Jr. pours his heart into this. And FYI, Mary's disposition totally does a 180. Moments ago, she was cheerful in her tone. And by the end of all of this, it's like she's just been staring at a wall. John Jr. says, Mary Ingalls, I love you very much. More than anything in the world. I want you to be my wife. Mary Ingalls, thank you, John. And I'm guessing that's a yes. We now have that awkward kiss that follows. And maybe again, most likely because they haven't seen one another in so long. Cut to the Sanderson estate. It's dinner time. I feel it's though it's been a while since everyone has been at the dinner table. Grace is busy saying grace, and when she's done, Mr. Edwards inquires about this poetry business. He doesn't seem too supportive. Apparently, at Miss Beadle's recommendation, John Jr. sent out a collection of his poems. He was told they're too good just to be sitting around in a notebook. Grace then states that they didn't bother to mention it because they didn't think nothing would come of it. And Mr. Edwards, oh, maybe nothing will. It's at this moment, Carl finally asks a good question. Something any artist has to eventually decide. How do you figure the price of your art? Or how do you figure out what a poem is worth? Mr. Edwards opens up with, well, it's the same way that they price corn, except it's not by the bushel. And John Jr. concurs, oh yes, they set up a scale and they weigh it out. So 16 poems at 182 lines equals three and a quarter pounds. John Jr. continues to work on that conversion and comes up with $7.10. And well, Carl is wising up and says, 
You're pulling my leg. This one's starting to grow up too. Mr. Edwards says that this would be a nice bit of cash on the side. John Jr. declares that it's actually going to be my full-time job. And Mr. Edwards seems confused. But, but what about work? John Jr. explains that this would be my work, my job. And Grace, don't be so surprised, Isaiah. Mr. Edwards still is trying to process this out loud. You're going to get up in the morning, drink your coffee, and go off to work with a pencil. And get paid for it regularly? John Jr., under his breath, that's what you hope for. And yeah, Mr. Edwards still not grasping this idea. You can't make a living putting words down on a paper. John Jr. then admits that he's going to have to because, OMG, he states, because we're going to have another mouth to feed here pretty soon. Once again, you should be able to hear crickets at this time. It's that quiet. John Jr. then states, I've asked Mary to marry me. And just when you think, it couldn't get any quieter. And I have to say, Carl and little Alicia, they have the best seats in the house for this scene. And well, to know what's happening on the flip side, we cut to Plum Creek. Charles is lighting up in the house and inquires to Caroline about the Rasmussens. Apparently they're selling their place and possibly moving east. Charles is interested in buying their mare. Mary pops her head out from the loft and shares the news about the man coming to visit John Jr. about his poems. There's no mention about Engagement 2.0, however. Charles continues to puff on his pipe, still talking about this horse, and Mary comes out, name drops, Frederick Deering, the man coming to see John Jr., and Charles is only half listening at this moment because Charles clearly has his focus on this Rasmulin's horse. Mary, once again, comes out, and apparently she has that letter from John Jr. memorized, because after reciting a portion of it, she then states, we're going to save our money and put it in the bank. It only takes a moment for it to sink in for Charles. Huh? What? Who's we? And Mary says it, John and I, for a house, a place of our own. And I'll confess, I have the same expression Charles has at this moment. But Caroline, she's sitting in her rocker, and she shrugs her shoulders and says, why not? The conversation continues a little bit, but the most important takeaway here is that, at the moment, Mary is 13 years old. And that's when Caroline throws it out there that's close to the same age that her and Charles were when they started to court. We cut to daytime. Mr. Edwards is leading a wagon and Charles is sitting shotgun. You know, Ingalls, I don't know as if I'd pick you to be a relation. Truthfully, they're practically brothers already. This is when Charles essentially gives his blessing to this marriage. However, the marriage will not take place until Mary turns 15 which is still a year and a half to go. As they ride on, 
Mr. Edwards continues that he's not entirely sure about this whole making a living off of writing thing. But I do have to say, the next thing Mr. Edwards mentions is kind of cute and shows that he has been paying attention. Byron was a lord. What do you figure a lord makes? And Mr. Edwards continues that John Jr. is just a pup, but bemoans that he can't say anything to him, though, and states that John Jr. has to make his own choices, but he will be there to give advice, only if asked for it. We cut to John Jr. and Mr. Edwards pitching some hay, and we hear Carl announce the man, you know, Frederick Deering, is on his way. John Jr. leaps out of the wagon and runs home. Mr. Edward follows behind after instructing Carl to stay with the wagon and horses. Cut to the Sanderson estate. Frederick Deerling is very impressed with John Jr.'s work. He goes on by saying, Imagination is a gift. It can't be taught or learned. You obviously have it. What do you want to do, John? John doesn't hesitate. He flat out states, I want to write. John Jr. is then asked, do you work hard at it? John Jr. states, it, it just kind of happens. He relaxes and there are plenty of thoughts in his head. Plots, people, and when he relaxes, things just kind of happen. Frederick Deering states, you have talent and imagination, but the one thing you need is discipline to shape it. He continues that John Jr. is off to a fine start, but his work is not exactly ready for publishing. And this is when he shares the news that each spring, the Pathfinder, the publication Frederick Deerling works for, that each spring they pick someone from the farming communities and send them to school in the promise that they might have another Sam Clemens or Colin Bryant. And this is when John Jr. is offered a full-ride scholarship for four years. Board, room, tuition. Grace celebrates. Mr. Edwards is silent. John Jr. is handed the proposal and told to look it over before making the big decision. Furthermore, we are informed that if he turns down the proposal, that they do have another prospect in mind. So please take your time, but let us know ASAP. We then say goodbye to Frederick Deerling. Grace and John Jr. are very jubilant, and when Grace inquires to Mr. Edwards' feelings, silence is the answer. Mr. Edwards has left the building. John Jr. grabs his cap and runs out after him. Mr. Edwards is heading back to that hay, and John Jr. says that he's going to come back and help as soon as he tells Mary about everything. Mr. Edwards, eh, don't bother. I've loaded things by myself plenty of times. And besides, you've got better things to do than chores. John Jr. pauses. You don't want me to go. Well, I'm not even going until fall. Mr. Edwards, starting to push away. You can put words down on paper. You got no business farming, chopping wood, or pitching hay. Mr. Edwards continues to explain that they're too different. It's like they live on two different hills with a ditch in between them. You do things 
I have the faintest notion what they are. I want you to be what you want to be. I'm not going to pull you down your hill to bring you up to mine. If you want to stay on yours, John Jr. gives thanks for the support and love that Mr. Edwards has provided over the years, months, weeks, hours, who knows. John Jr. continues with kind of the sentiment that Mr. Edwards is not a replacement for his old paw. He's just the paw that he needs at this time. And, well, Mr. Edwards stands there, listens, but then makes a really fast exit. Grace heads over and comforts John Jr. Most fathers want their sons to do just as they do, following their footsteps. However, Grace admits that Mr. Edwards is watching you grow up in a completely different direction, and it bothers him. John Jr., well, he didn't say that. Actually, he very much alluded to it with the whole hills and ditch metaphor. Are they sure they picked the right person for this scholarship? Grace admits it will just take time. Now go tell Mary. And we cut to Plum Creek. Charles is mending the roof over the door and Caroline comes out. But when she sees John Jr. approaching, she says, should I go back inside? Charles says, no, go about your business. And rushing towards the house, John Jr. inquires, where is Mary? We're told she's over at the Big Oak, and Charles takes his time to kind of welcome John Jr. and inquires about anything he might want to talk about. And coming off that ladder and trying to escort John Jr. inside, John Jr. bolts for the Big Oak. No time for talking! And as he watches John Jr. run away, Charles yells out after him, Hey, don't we have to talk? John Jr. finds Mary in the big oak tree reading and shares the news about the scholarship. Mary, how long are you going to be gone? John Jr. claims he'll be gone for four years. And under her breath, Mary states, because the closed caption says she whispers it, four years? John Jr. admits that he talked less than five minutes with this man, Frederick Deerling, and he has now changed his life. I don't even know what a university looks like. John Jr. continues, I'll be home in the summer, two, maybe three weeks, and possibly at Christmas time. We'll see each other twice a year, and we'll have so much to talk about. And Mary, but you'll be different. You know, similar to how Mary was different after she went to Minneapolis for her math competition and also used a restroom on a train. Back in season two, Pride of Walnut Grove. Oh, anyway, we're about to have a lover's quarrel. Oh, and we finally are informed that John Jr. would be heading to Chicago. Mary claims it will be like living on the moon to Walnut Grove. And John Jr., he looks torn. Well, what do you want me to do? And Mary tells him to go, and she should. You can't turn this down. When it's done, we'll both be glad you did it. That's when she gets up and announces that she's got to go home. Cut to evening time at the Sanderson estate. John Jr. is just getting home and everyone is asleep. Grace says that she'll fetch him some supper and he heads into the bedroom. 
you know, the one that he shares with his two siblings, and he lights a lantern. He looks at his notebook of poems, the scholarship offer, and he puts those away. And just to have a little me time, he picks up a book and starts to read. Grace comes in with some food, and when she puts it down and gets ready to leave, she inquires, Is it Mary? John Jr. simply nods. Grace, it'll work. It'll just take time. John Jr. thought that his mind was made up, and Grace takes a seat by him. You'll ride the wind one day, John. And if she's fond of you, she'll wait. And John Jr. inquires out loud, Will I be the same? And Grace flat out says, No, no, not at all. Nope, no, no. But neither will she. She'll be a woman. You'll be a man. And you'll see one another in different eyes. John Jr. admits that he just doesn't want things to change. And Grace, I can't help it now. There is a great big world out there waiting for you, John. Like one enormous house with a million rooms all filled with treasures. And at university, they will give you the keys. John Jr. inquires about Mary. And Grace She's a bright girl. She can achieve anything she sets her mind to. Because remember, she's an Ingalls. John Jr. continues, If I go, things will never be the same. Which, as a future writer, you should be aware of this already, John Jr. And Grace, seconding my voice, They never are. And don't fret about it. There's a kiss and good night. Next day, John Jr. is outside tending horses, and he's called inside for breakfast by Carl. John Jr. has made a decision. He has decided not to take the scholarship. Whoa. Grace is a little hurt by this. But Mr. Edwards, he is thrilled. Almost to the point where he's kind of rubbing it in Grace's face. Yep, John Jr. has decided to turn down a four-year full scholarship and to stay home in Walnut Grove so he can be just like Mr. Edwards. You know, I say that out loud and it does sound a little mean, but come on. Actually, John Jr. goes so far as to say, even with four years at a university, there's still no guarantee I could be a writer. And he's told that he doesn't need promises he just needs an opportunity because you only get one shot. Do not miss your chance to blow. This opportunity comes once in a lifetime. Grace is slowly starting to raise her voice. They are offering you the world. And John Jr., my mind's made up. My world's right here. This is when Mr. Edwards stands up, tells John Jr. to go get his girl because he has something to show him. Once John Jr. has left the building, Grace pleads with Mr. Edwards, You can't let this go on. But Mr. Edwards has been waiting for this opportunity. You heard him. His mind's made up. A man's decision. Grace, a man's decision. A boy made. Mr. Edwards scoffs and heads outside. Cut to Caroline milking the cow at Plum Creek. A barking jack announces John Jr.'s arrival. Charles decides it's finally time to have that talk. Other than hello, the only words out of John Jr.'s mouth is, where is Mary? He's told that Mary left five minutes ago. 
And as Charles goes to put his arm around John Jr.'s shoulder, trying to escort him into the house, John Jr. pulls a slick move and spins away from Charles and yells out, I gotta catch up, gotta go. Charles, don't you think we ought to have a talk? Caroline giggles. John Jr. catches up to Mary and Laura, which FYI, Laura has not said a single word so far. John Jr. starts to pull Mary along, but Mary proclaims, I'll be late for school. John Jr. says he has something really important to share. And well, Mary hands her books over to Laura and they leave her. Back with Mr. Edwards. Apparently Mr. Edwards has been planning some things out too. He's talking about the adjacent property being 80 acres. They could do winter wheat. They could borrow Charles's team. If that's not enough, Mr. Edwards has plenty of ideas for farming. The house, the house type, the porch of the house, the location of the house, the chimney. And not only that, Mr. Edwards has already talked to Mr. Hansen about the first jag of lumber. Again, P.S. No one has really talked to Charles yet about all of this. Mr. Edwards even proclaims they can start building tomorrow. Hugs all around. We cut to evening at Plum Creek. Supper. Charles inquires, is anything the matter with Mary? And Mary, with her head down, no, no, not at all. I'm just not hungry. And finally, Laura says something, only to be told to hush up by both Mary and Carrie. Mary continues, I'm just not hungry. Charles tries to push this just a little bit more. And Caroline knows her daughter and instead quickly hands a bowl of the stew and says, here, have more. Looking around the table, Charles is definitely out of the GT loop. Girl talk. There's a knock at the door and it's John Jr. He's finally come to have that conversation with Charles. And outside, John Jr. tries to tell Charles what we already know. How he loves Mary, he wants to take care of her. And Charles steps forward and he says, well, I love her too, and I also want to take care of her. That's when John Jr. states, yeah, but I want to marry her. Yeah, try to beat that one, Charles. But then Charles admits that John Jr. would be a great addition to the Ingalls clan. John Jr. has a seat, and this is when Charles inquires about choices. You sure about your mind being made up? What about a few years from now? This opportunity is once in a lifetime. You are giving it up. Once you're married, all that is in the past. There's an eye roll from me because times have changed. John Jr. admits that he knows his choice. And well, this is when Charles finally delivers the last bit of information John Jr. was not aware of that they can marry, however, they have to wait until she's 15. Another year and a half. There's a pause before John Jr. says, that's an awful long time. Charles, you spend the rest of your lives together. That's a long time. That is both tea and shade. Inside, Laura is being a pesty middle sister. It's kind of cute. Caroline ensures Mary that things will be fine. But the expression on Mary's face, there's some doubts. Charles returns and mentions that he hopes the stew hasn't gotten cold. 
Their silent stares at him from all around the table. Oh, yeah, you're also engaged. Which, I have to confess, is an awkward sentence to have to say about a 13 and a half year old. Mary then inquires, where's John Jr.? Charles says, I sent him home. It's dark and you're engaged. Well, maybe Mary should excuse herself and go out to the barn like last time back in going home. Back at the Sanderson estate, John Jr. starts packing his books into a box. He takes a moment to look at his Prairie Songs notebook and it looks like he's accepting his choice. We cut to John Jr. seriously starting construction on this house already. Mary stops by with some cord bread and buttermilk, gross, and a book from Miss Beetle, Robert Burns. John Jr. looks at it and then hands it back to Mary and says he's not interested. Mary tries to sway him, but he's getting a little flustered and announces that he told you I'm not interested. I've got no time for books. I'm building a house. Isn't that enough? which that's a lot for a 13 and a half year old to process. Then John Jr. confesses, I'm done with writing, poetry, books. And the sooner you accept that, the better off we'll be. Ooh. Mary apologizes and says, I'm going to go help mom with some canning. And as she leaves, she intentionally also leaves the book behind. Back at the Sanderson estate, John Jr. is at the table, and Grace is in her rocking chair, thumbing through the book. You look at this. John Jr. says no. She then starts to recite the Mary poem, which begins, Oh, Mary. She continues until John Jr. finally tells her, Grace, I do not want to hear poetry. He offers no explanation, and also states, Do I need one? Mr. Edwards comes home and announces how Charles will lend them the team so they can start breaking ground on crops tomorrow. We gotta get those crops in before it rains. Mr. Edwards is just beaming. He is so happy with all of this. And meanwhile, John is still at a seat at the table and he, he just looks awful. Mr. Edwards then has a seat next to John Jr. and says, I can tell something's up. What's eating you, John? And John Jr. is in denial and says nothing. In the background, Grace mentions that she'll return the book for him. And that's when he says, well, I got another one too, if you don't mind returning that book to Miss Beetle as well. He then heads into the bedroom. Mr. Edward says, not to Fred. He's had a big day. He's tired. But according to Grace... John Jr. is empty. There's something missing from him. She reminds Mr. Edwards about the conversation earlier in the episode where he stated how him and the boy were different. You forgot that. Mr. Edwards, yeah, he's just coming into manhood. He's got lots on his mind. And Grace, he used to smile. It's starting to dawn on Mr. Edwards. At Plum Creek, Mary is outside, sitting on a stump, looking at that collection of John Jr.'s prairie songs. She hands them over to Caroline, and Caroline thumbs through it. Meadowlark, Winterkill, Charlie's Fiddle. Mary states the obvious. That one's about Pa. Caroline starts to read it. 
how does he do it? How does he put words to what I feel and hear when Charles plays? Mary shrugs her shoulders. Caroline inquires, do you ever ask him? And Mary responds with, we don't talk about poetry now. And Caroline, nodding her head, says, yep, that's what happens when you fall in love and get married. You enter a whole new world. It's a rather defeatist attitude there. Mary immediately inquires, well, what kind of world did you leave behind? And Caroline, ugh, I can't remember. But then she does start to think back before Charles. I don't even know that girl. The things she wanted to do, places wanted to go, the person she wanted to be. And when we married one another, there was just one person to look out for. She's describing being an adult. And almost reading a doomsday prophecy, Mary states, this will happen to us too. And you leave one world behind for a new one. And you forget your dreams. This is a rather lousy mother-daughter conversation right now. Mary continues that John has just forgotten about poetry. But this is when Caroline speaks up and says, Well, your pa still plays the fiddle, doesn't he? She tells Mary not to fret about it. It happens to us all. Things never stay the same. There's a kiss and a good night, and Mary is left with her thoughts. We cut to the next day, and Mr. Edwards is making progress on this house construction. This is when Mary stops by, and she sees John Jr. with that team plowing the field. And, well, Mr. Edwards is just continuing on about specifics for the house. Without looking at Mr. Edwards, Mary starts that all of this that is happening, it's a dream. Talking about the house and the field, flowers, weeds, it's all a great dream. Mr. Edwards, uh, no, it's not a dream. It's real. And that's when Mary lets it be known. And that's what's wrong. And you know it's wrong just as much as I do. Mr. Edwards chuckles. There's nothing wrong. He's doing great. He's doing it all for you, Mary. And Mary, the tears are starting to come out. That's what's wrong. It's for us. But it's not for him. This is not his life. He was born to books and to words and the music he can make with them. Mr. Edwards is really trying to put this fire out. But Mary is not having it. You know it's true. And we're taking it away from him. She finally turns to Mr. Edwards. He'll stay if we ask him. But his life will be gone from him. I want him here more than you, but not that way. And I don't think you do either. Do you? Mary turns and runs over to John Jr. and they embrace. We cut to engine three at the Springfield train station. Well, I guess it must now be fall. Mary is waiting there. In fact, the entire English clan and the Edward Snyder Sanderson troop are also there. Caroline hands over some cakes and a few sandwiches to John Jr. And Mr. Edwards tells him to keep an eye on his pocketbook, which John Jr. admits Mr. Edwards has told him a dozen times. And not only that, he states, we'll be thinking about you all the time. 
John Jr. approaches Mary and tells her, I'll be home for Christmas. Mary inquires, you'll write? And John responds with, always. We hear all aboard. And in a quick moment, John Jr. tells Mary, I love you. He runs, embraces all of the family, and then runs aboard the train. And he stays outside on that fancy caboose. And as the train pulls away and Mary follows behind, John Jr. watches his old life run after him. Mr. Edwards comforts Mary. Well, in fact, they comfort one another. Side by side, they turn around, realizing that it is so hard to say goodbye to yesterday. Well, it's nice to see you, John Jr. Good luck. And so to get some tea about this Radamus Para situation, again, not going through online sources, just going straight to other sources, aka books. And in Confessions of a Prairie Bitch, Allison Argren mentions that Melissa Sue just simply hated his guts and didn't want to kiss him, which then led to the whole Mary going blind story arc. Again, at the end of season two, we can tell they were working on trying to set up a relationship between Mary and John Jr. Imagine Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman in Star Wars Attack of the Clones. There's just no chemistry, no spark between the two of them. Sorry, I'm talking about Mary and John Jr. at this moment. And so he's gone for the first 11 episodes, and when he's returned, it's just to write him off once again. And from another source, Melissa Anderson herself, in her book, The Way I See It, she writes how director William F. Claxton called her out on her acting, saying, don't let your personal feelings get in the way. And clearly it did, because it absolutely shows. And she does confess at not finding Radamus Para, quote, a hunk. But again, he's not supposed to be. That's the point of his character. She also mentions that, of course, growing up, being 13 in the spotlight, and having everyone watch you kiss someone you don't really like, is also a little nerve-wracking. However, you're also getting a paycheck. But I have different thoughts and feelings on actually how this whole kiss and awkwardness kind of plays to a whole different story. And with that, let's get to reviewing and rating this episode. Leaving and moving away from home for the very first time. I think a lot of us can relate to that moment in life. I can remember moving away from my family and my hometown and starting life in a whole new city. I also can't really forget it because I got food poisoning the day before. It did make for a rather interesting drive. But yeah, Grace described it best. It's a giant mansion out there with so many doors and who knows what's inside every one of them. It's exciting and especially for John Jr. because as Grace put it earlier back in his father's son, John is different than the other boys. Now before it gets mentioned, oh wait, John Jr. is engaged to Mary. And I hate to spoil it for everyone. Mary is a beard. She's there for cover. And she just may not know it. That awkward kiss between the two of them. I've done that awkward kiss before. 
just to save face, just to appear, quote, normal in the environment. And although it's not said anywhere, and of course this might lead to some dispute, but John Jr., John Jr. Sanderson is gay. And he is trying to fit in in Walnut Grove because this is the only world that he knows. But for a person like John Jr., he needs to get out. To put it in perspective, John Jr. could essentially be Cody Smith McPhee's character in Jane Campion's Power of the Dog. However, in this case, John Jr. is doing all that he can to essentially deny it by continuing to go through with this whole sacrifice of building a farm, a house, and a family, and essentially giving up on his passion. John Jr. wants to be a good son, but he also doesn't want to give up his old life and his old world. And all of this reminded me of another TV series with almost the exact same predicament, also starring another Gilbert. Back at the end of season five of Roseanne, Darlene Connor was one accepted and granted a scholarship to a school in Chicago, but her parents deny it because she's still in high school at this time. And over the next episode or two, we suddenly see Darlene start to just, I don't want to say downward spiral, but she's kind of just giving up on all the things that she was passionate about. And that's when Roseanne finally decides to pretty much kick her own daughter out and tell her, you're going to go to school. And Roseanne has her own feelings about that because she does state, our daughter went out to find herself a life, and she did, and now we're going to deny her it. Not exactly Mary's sentiments, but close enough. Yeah, John Jr. is just getting pressure from everyone around him to stay, except for Grace. And that gracefully takes us to this week's Little House moment, which is is that shared awkward kiss between John Jr. and Mary. From behind the scenes, yes, it's a very awkward kiss between the two of them. But as I watched it, I don't see an awkward kiss between a young couple. I see a young boy who's conflicted. And maybe it is an awkward kiss just because they're teenagers. And regardless of acting, maybe John Jr. just doesn't want to be pursuing this life even though it's the only life he's ever been aware of. And he does decide to stick with that life up until Mary tells him at the end that he's got to leave because Mary knows the truth as well. This life is not for him. And with that, let's finally get to rating this episode. We have seen Carl Jr. and little Alicia so much in these first 11 episodes. So, hooray, we finally do get John Jr. back. Only to get rid of him. Completely. And if he wasn't included in any of the previous episodes because of whatever behind the scenes was taking place, cool, don't put him and Mary in the same scene for a few episodes. We at least know he's still around. But yeah, zero mention of him up until this episode. So I guess that's just my real big complaint right there. But overall, story-wise, this is a very relatable episode to me, other than the whole getting a scholarship for four years. Those awkward kisses, those strange relationships, all being done to essentially fit in. 
I mean, I didn't have my family telling me to move away. In fact, quite the opposite. They didn't want me to leave. But my parents knew I was making the choice for myself. So I do find this a very more personal episode than previous ones, you know, like Fred the Goat. And that's why we are going to give this episode, I'll Ride the Win, a 4.75 bonnet rating. And well, those are just some of my thoughts and feelings about this episode. And as always, I wouldn't mind hearing any thoughts or feelings you have about this episode or any previous episode or season from Plum Creek with Love at gmail.com or direct messages through the Instagram account is how you can reach me if you want to say hi, hello. Again, thank you to those who have hit the subscribe or like button for this podcast. And again, thank you for sharing your time with me as you are going about your day, evening, whenever you're listening to this podcast. And with that, we come to the end of another episode of From Plum Creek with Love, a little house on the prairie podcast. I'm your host, John Hernandez. Until next time, everyone, take care.